So we come together on a Monday, Thursday evening, and it's interesting that this is one of those evenings that for uh, a lot of our brothers and sisters remains kind of a mystery. Um, I did not grow up doing this in my congregation that I, I grew up in, and probably many of you uh, had that same experience. And, and it really wasn't until much later that I actually began to understand what, what this was about and, and the language. Uh, the name of it, Monday, comes from the Latin mandatum, uh, which is the mandate. It's when Jesus says, do this. Uh, and, and so Monday is kind of a shortened version of that that comes across. But that's where it comes from. And it's the night when we gather and, and we remember the last night that Christ was with his disciples. And uh, I did a, an Emmaus walk a number of years ago, and as we were getting ready to do it, uh, my friend Monty Marshall was leading, uh, was the spiritual director, was leading, and he said, you know, he said, I'm just going to ask you a question. If this, was, if this was the last night, if you knew this was the last night of your life, who would you want to have around you, and, and what would you want to do? And, and, and so we kind of had this little conversation with the team about, you know, the people that we'd want to gather around us and and all that. And, and he said, so this is what Jesus is doing. You know, this is, this is the last night and he's gathering this group of disciples around, uh, this holy meal, uh, this holy meal to remember this time. Uh, and, and you know, you begin to think about who he picked to be around that table. Um, people who didn't understand what was going on, uh, people who didn't know and couldn't figure out what he was talking about. Uh, folks who were, sometimes less than uh, faithful in their responses. And, and you, for me at least, there, there's a tremendous comfort in that because I know that, you know what? <laughs> they didn't get it either. And when we don't get it, it, it's okay. It's okay because this is who God calls to be here tonight. So they gathered that night for the, the Passover. That's the original meal they, they came together for. Uh, the Passover meal is the, the central ritual, if you will, of the Jewish faith. And if you've been coming on Sunday morning, you've been hearing us as we read through those stories of the, the Passover in Egypt and, and, and the events that occurred in that. And the meal was given them to remember so that they would not forget. We just talked about this. They would not forget when they came into the promised land what God had done for them. And so the, the meal has a ritual uh, aspect to it. Uh, the Jewish faith since the time of 70 AD when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, uh, the Jewish faith has been mainly based in the home. Uh, it's in the home that it is passed on more so than in the synagogue. And so this meal, which is celebrated in the home, is the central event of their faith, where this is passed from generation to generation, and they gather to remember this. And as they sit around the table, <clears throat> there's a series of questions they go through. And so the first question is, why is this night different from all other nights? Why do we eat only unleavened bread tonight? And this question is assigned to whoever the youngest member of the family is to ask uh, from generation to generation. And they lift that up. And then the oldest person present at the meal will explain. That's why I'm explaining tonight. Uh, no. Uh, the oldest person will explain. And those passages from Exodus, they're printed in your bulletin. And I would invite you when you go home to, to take those out and read them through. That's the story. That's the story. This is what we're remembering when we share this meal. These are the events of the Passover, that God heard the cry of his people, that God answered the cry of his people, and, and the plagues that God sent finally culminating in that last night 
the, the plague of the death of the firstborn. When, when God sent word to his people and said, prepare ahead of time. This is what you're to do. Pack your things up. Get ready to go. Cook the unleavened bread. Uh, take the lamb and, and, and you know, sacrifice the lamb and roast the meat and eat it and smear the, the blood around the door to mark your home. So that when I pass through the land tonight, I will not take your child. And it, it, it's a gruesome story. Uh, it's a harsh story. Um, and the people of Israel never forgot um, that their freedom, <laughs> their, their, their freedom came at a tremendous price. And so the elements of the meal that are shared that night, they, they have a, a story to tell. Uh, the unleavened bread was cooked because it could be cooked quickly. You didn't have to wait for it to rise. Uh, it could be prepared in a hurry. Uh, and, and so they didn't have much time to get ready, and, and they could do this and have it ready to go. Uh, also, if you've been in those kinds of climates, you know that unleavened bread travels better. Uh, it doesn't tend to absorb moisture and mold as quickly, and so it's a, it's a better uh, choice for carrying on the journey. And so they, they prepared the unleavened bread that night so that they could be ready to go when the time came. We have the, the lamb shank, the, the roast lamb that was prepared, and, and that was the sacrificial lamb that they offered that night, and then they ate that to fortify themselves for the journey. You have a, laid in a cross here. When you come up, you'll see the, the nuts and the dates. Um, those were prepared, and then actually they would take them at the table and kind of grind them together, uh, and they would represent the mortar, the, the, the bricks. Uh, you know, the, the, the Israelite slaves would go out, and they were forced to make the bricks by hand they would take the the straw and put it in the ground in the mud and and would walk on it to mix it together and then would pack it into the molds and so uh, this represents uh, the the actual physical labor of, of making the mortar and the bricks that they did for the for the egyptians they have the bitter herbs and with that there's water and salt and they'll take the bitter herbs and they'll take some of the salt and put it in the water and they'll they'll dip it in there it represents that the bitterness of their slavery and the salt water represents the tears that they cried. Um, many generations later, the eggs would be added into here. Uh, and, and there's a lot of discussion about why the eggs are on, on the uh, plate because that's not part of the original instruction. It came along later. And there's some thought that uh, actually the eggs were added to, to represent the fact that although the people came out of Egypt, they had that time in the wilderness uh, before they actually entered in the promised land. So the egg represents that period when they're, they're held, if you will, in the wilderness uh, before they actually are released into the promised land. Uh, other folks say that they come out of a representation of God sending the quail and the manna to feed them uh, while they were in the wilderness. But uh, it, it's to remind them of the story. And the night that Jesus gathers, he, he sends some of his disciples into town and he says, now listen, you, you watch for a man carrying a jar of water and you follow him, he'll take you to the right place. What we don't always hear is that the men were not the ones that carried the jars of the water back then. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you travel today still into places like that, the men are not the one that carry the jars of water. That's an unusual thing. Tells us that, that something had been arranged ahead of time. Someone had spoken to someone to set this up and and arrange for a place for them to have this Passover meal. And so they, it was easy for them to spot him and to follow him to the room where they were going to, to set the meal up. And they prepared the meal and entered into this time of remembering, something that normally they would have celebrated with their 
their families, their blood relations, that night they came together as, as a different kind of family. Uh, because Christ now would begin to build a family that would be different than what the world had known before. And they would gather to celebrate this ritual. And, and you need to remember that, that the night when they did this, they'd been doing this for over a thousand years. Um, we sometimes lose those sense of time. Uh, you know, we, we've been here as a nation for a little over 240 years, right? So, so five times that long, the people of the Hebrews had celebrated this meal. And that night, Jesus does something different with it. You know, if you, if you begin to think about it, I mean, to, to take a ritual that has been in place for thousand plus a thousand plus years uh, you know to mess with that and to change it i mean how audacious is that um how shocking was that and so they gathered they they begin to move through this and all of a sudden he he departed from the script next slide and and we hear this this story that comes uh, first out of first corinthians this is the oldest telling of the story this predates the gospels this is a telling of the first communion paul saying i want to share with you what was passed on to me this is a decade before the first gospel will be written and very very early in the history of the church this has already become something powerful Long before the church had time to, to figure out all the niceties and the rituals and, you know, people wore robes and vestments and, you know, we had all the stuff about who can take communion and who can't and how you're supposed to do it and all those kinds of discussions. Paul is already telling the story. That as they, they sat at the table that night and they were going through the meal and through the, the rituals and the motions of it, in the middle of it, Jesus did something different. He, he, he takes the bread and he says, you know, this is, this is my body that's broken for you. I mean, we're told he had the blessing. And then he said, this is my body. And, and for, for men who had heard this all of their lives from the time they were a little bitty, you know, th- those words must have been jarring. And, and surely... They also had no concept of what he meant. They, they just couldn't grasp that, that when he offered that and, and he said that, that he was putting himself in the place of the one that would be sacrificed. But they remembered. They remembered later. Because a thousand something years had just been disrupted. A little later he would, he would take the cup. There's debate about exactly where in the ritual that occurred, whether it was the third cup or the seventh cup, and you know, without a time machine, we probably never will solve that. Um, but he takes the cup and and blessed it, you know, and the blessing, you know, blessed O Lord God, art Thou who creates the fruit of the vine, and 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 then he said, "This is this is my blood." Now the cup in the Passover meal represented the blood of the lamb that had been smeared on the doors. And now he's saying, no, this is, this is my blood. When you drink this, you remember my blood being spilled for you. 
And it wouldn't be that night. It probably really wouldn't be the next day. It might not even been the first week before they begin to put the pieces together and understand what he had told them that night. That in the same way that the Passover meal had been that opportunity to remember the way God brought them out of Israel and the cost of that, and, and I mean out of Egypt and the, and the cost of that and, and, and the hardness of that and the suffering of that, in the same way they were supposed to gather and remember that their freedom, not from Egyptian slavery, but from sin and from death itself, was being also bought with a tremendous sacrifice. John remembers one other piece of the story. There's debate about whether this is, is part of the same night or not in, among scholars. Uh, and, and again, it, there's no way to know. But, but John remembers a different part of it. You know, why is this night's celebration different from the other celebrations, the one we do all the other times? Because in John's memory, as they gathered around the table for that last time, something else happened. Something else happened. They gathered in that upper room that they had prepared and, and, and there by the door, as is always the case, you know, there, there's a basin and a towel, a place for someone to wash their feet because as they came in, their feet would be filthy, having walked in sandals on the streets with the, the dirt and the dung, and they would come in and, and all the, the men would take their sandals off and leave them there. And the ritual was that whoever was the lowest ranking slave or servant in the house was the one that got to wash your feet. Now, you just think about that for a minute. You know, it's the end of a day, it's hot, people have been walking around, their feet are pretty nasty. Somebody's going to have to do this because when they come to the table, they're not going to be sitting in nice chairs with their feet under the table. They're going to be reclining around it on pillows and your feet will be in your neighbor's face. And so this was, this was partly ritual to ensure that when you came in, you didn't track things all through the house, but it was also a way to make sure that the meal could be enjoyed. And that unsavory task would go to whoever had the least ranking in the household. So the disciples come in one at a time, and there's really no one there. And they're looking at that. There's no one to wash their feet. And not one of them, not one of them stoops to wash anyone's feet. Matter of fact, what, what John tells us is in the middle of the meal, they'd sat down and they'd begun to eat before anything happens. And then Jesus gets up and goes and takes off his robe and gets the basin and gets ready to wash Peter's feet. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to even imagine what that must have felt like at that moment. Um, you know, he's had all this time with them. He's been with them for these years. He, he's already given them these teachings. You know, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the servant of all. He's already done that kind of stuff. They've heard it. But now, you know, here we are, and we have our, our application of the teaching, and, and we fail miserably. We failed miserably. And when Jesus gets up, all of a sudden, 
that just rises up in front of them and they realize, oh my gosh. The master, the highest ranking person in the household, is now going to wash our feet because we were too vain to do it for each other. When he's washed their feet, Jesus says, you know, (laughs) okay, I've told you about this, guys. (laughs) But now tonight I've shown you what it looks like. I've given you an example. And and this is the way that you're to love one another. A little later, he's going to make that comment. He says, you know, I want you to love each other in the same way that I've loved you. And, And again, I don't know that they grasp the fullness of that at that point. But he said, I've I've given you this example. And then he makes a really interesting comment. He says, uh, now that you know this, and that you know what you're supposed to do, you'll be blessed if you do it. You'll be blessed if you do it. Because disciples then, just like disciples now, We like to hear the teaching. We want the blessing. We just don't want to do the servant part. You know, we've had kind of a a bumpy day around here. We were back comparing notes in the back, and I was talking to Brother Dave and Wynn and Sherry, and we were kind of David, and we were comparing notes. We've had a rough day. And, you know, some days we have things that we are in the middle of, and as hard as that sometimes is, there's also something wonderful about being invited into those moments with people, uh, being part of those kind of a very intimate kinds of moments with people, where, where, where you're honored to be part of what's going on in their lives. But you don't get to do that if you're not willing to do the foot washing. You know, you have to be willing to do it. The first time we were in Matete and we were washing people's feet that were infested with a, what they call jiggers, we would call them sand fleas, and they burrowed into the people's skins and were washing them in this antiseptic solution. And, and, and to, to do that is, is at once very humbling and yet very honoring. Very honoring. And, and Judy Hassey and I, I can still remember us walking away from that, just tears running down our faces thinking about these folks who've never seen us before. They have no idea who we are. Have allowed us to kneel and, and wash their feet this way. And we come to be their servants and yet we were blessed. If you know it, you'll be blessed if you do it. So, so tonight I want to invite you in the time that we have here tonight. You're going to receive some uh, instructions here in a minute. But I want to invite you to, to let yourself sink into this. Just let yourself sink into it. Um, step into that place and, and enter in that place where Jesus shares this meal with his disciples. As you're washing each other's feet, sink into that place of servitude and servanthood to each other. Um, Feel what it feels like 
taste what it tastes like, listen to what it sounds like. Be in that place with all the disciples and with Christ tonight and just enter into it and do it. And see if you don't find a blessing that flows from it. Amen.